And welcome everyone to the Caden Strong Style Podcast, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles' exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in. And if you haven't already, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button or follow button, whatever it is. On whatever podcast platform that you have, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, hell, even maybe Telegram. I have no idea if Telegram has a podcast feature, but sure wherever you can get your podcast from make sure you subscribe to the cajun strong style podcast appreciate you as always for listening in and let's get right down to brass tacks and talk about what's going on in the sport of professional wrestling namely i think the biggest headline is the returns and not just the returns on what we've seen two weeks in to the new era of Triple H running things in the WWE now that he has kind of full control. Again, we talked about it during the SummerSlam review. The fact that Triple H has taken over the reins as the head of WWE in terms of creative day-to-day, it wasn't going to happen all in one fell swoop. Because obviously, a lot like what we saw with Vince Russo when he left alongside Jeff Jarrett in 1999 to go to WCW, the stories had to kind of be tied up and kind of resolved before they were able to kind of get their own footing in a sense. And that's kind of what we've gotten. A lot of stories have been resolved. We're moving forward into a new era, but at the same time, we're also bringing back some familiar faces. And that's been the best thing about this new era. And some of them, it felt like it was the only direction these guys were going to go. I think Dakota Kai, notwithstanding, because I think Dakota Kai could have made a really good run on the Indies and heck, even an impact or maybe even AEW. I think she would have been a great addition to the women's roster, but it's obviously worked out quite well because Dakota Kai has a chance to make an immediate impact a lot more than maybe she would have under a previous regime. Then we get to Karen Cross who I think, again, he had already hit a ceiling to a certain extent. And we talked about it a lot last week, about how he, to a certain extent, was very much at a certain level, but now he's being treated as a legitimate main eventer, which is always interesting, to say the least, to see how that all works out. But then we get to more of guys, and it's interesting to see how some of these have been presented. Case in point, Dakota Kai and Eosky now, those two alongside Bailey are being treated as the new women's revolution. These three are going to really establish what the tone is going to be for the women's division, especially on Raw going forward. Meanwhile, you have Karrion Cross. He's going to be pushed as a main eventer. Now we get to some of the guys that maybe won't make a huge impact in terms of the main event, but at the same time, they're going to tell an intriguing story from start to finish, and more importantly, are going to add some much-needed depth to the main roster and give us something I think we've been all wanting for a long time, and that is fresh matchups. We're seeing more of those, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but we're tired of seeing the same old, same old, the old hat of matches getting run back and run into the ground to a certain extent. And we got that. Dexter Loomis, that entire angle, he may not wrestle for weeks, if not months, but I guarantee you 
you're going to be paying attention. And I think that's what WWE is wanting to do now. Because gone are the, is the era of GTV. I think this is the way that WWE's going to change the way their production is. Change the way you are watching the show. Instead of watching the show and seeing the matches, you're paying attention a little bit more to things going on in the background because it could play a role in what happens later. It's making you think. It's making you pay attention. And I'll kind of go back to something else that I didn't get to on the podcast last week, but I think it's more prevalent now, is last weekend... I wound up going to see Bullet Train. Brad Pitt is the star of this movie. It's a very good movie that tells a really solid and coherent story over the course of about two hours that explains every single character's reasoning and how they're all related. Not quite a six degrees of separation, but it is surely way more interesting to see how each and every Plot line is brought up and how everything kind of revolves around this one person. I'm not going to go into spoilers about it and everything, but it's a damn good movie. And I'd recommend you go check it out. I know a lot of people are maybe hating on it. But personally, if you love action movies, this is something you need to go see. And that's my movie review for this week. I'll go ahead and just leave that there. But that's what we're getting with Dexter Loomis. You have to pay attention to what happens maybe in hour one. Maybe hour one, you've got something going on in the background during a backstage interview. You're like, oh, hey, you know, there's something going on, like the car crash. Literally, you're just seeing that. And it's harder to do GTV in WWE where it's very much more polished versus what it was in the late 90s. Now, you could, hypothetically, and you got Jamie Borash there. I'm sure he could kind of come up with something akin to what they did back in the early 2010s of TNA slash impact wrestling, where you go with a more cinematic backstage approach where you're filming, let's say Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville are arguing about something using those two, just as a kind of hypothetical. Let's put those two in an office and you've got just a camera filming, but let's just say that they don't necessarily know they're there or they they're there, but it's not filmed like a backstage segment has been filmed in WWE for the last, let's say, 5-10 years, if not longer. But you have it filmed almost like you're not supposed to know that's going on. And you notice these little things pop up here and there. Now, how they kind of build off of this to build towards Dexter Loomis's reveal, why he's there, why he's back, it's interesting. And I'll also say this, the fact that they didn't necessarily acknowledge what was going on with Dexter. They showed it during social media after the show. But the fact that they did that right as the show went off the air was fantastic. I think it also was intriguing to see that from a fan's perspective. Because let's just say, hypothetically, these fans haven't watched NXT in a long time. And maybe haven't watched NXT ever. But they're watching And they see this guy, they're in the crowd, and they see this guy who looks like he just escaped from an insane asylum. Literally, just looks like back crap crazy, and that's just been Dexter Loomis, Sam Shaw's gimmick for a long time. So he's been able to kind of perfect and personify the person that is back crap crazy. And he does a fantastic job of doing just that. 
and you're in the crowd, let's say front row, and you see this dude get the hood pulled off, and he's just got these bug eyes, and he looks like he just, again, got out of Arkham Asylum, essentially. And you see that. You're like, oh, crap. Is this real? Now, of course, there's a reason why it was just so deliberate, and the fact that AJ Styles was looking dead at him, but they didn't show him in terms of like a crystal clear caught in 4K type thing till after the show on social media, which was a great selling point. You need to have cliffhangers from time to time. And I think it helped with the fact of how they paced out the entire three-hour show, which again was a pleasant surprise. Because I think that's been the thing that's hurt WWE for a decade now is three-hour shows, they feel like a slog. It's a struggle to get through. And everybody can agree. I'm sure Triple H, if he had the ability to do it, Tomorrow, you'd have a two-hour show from 7 to 9, and that's Central Time. And if you do that, I guarantee you, the ratings will be better overall. Because you're not going through a three-hour show every single week. That's what killed WCW to a certain extent, is the fact that they were going three hours. And also the fact they had Thunder, that would tape, and then would be a complete just cluster bleep to book that out. Kevin Ash has talked about that in great detail. But seeing what they're doing with some of these returns, and hell, we're talking more about Dexter Loomis because that's one of the more intriguing stories. Flip over on the other side, we've got on SmackDown, Hit Row comes back. Mind you, without Swerve Scott, so it's kind of a mid-row type thing, but it's great to see them. And here's the thing. You immediately reestablish them as threats in the tag division. Now, will they be? Probably not. But you introduced them and made a major impact, and you kind of established them as being quote-unquote controversial. And Now they're back in the WWE. And the way they did it, big surprise, where essentially Pat McAfee even didn't know who was going to come out. An absolutely fantastic Delivery of everything. They are hitting out the park when it comes to the surprises. Now, what other surprises could there be in WWE? We'll get to AEW in a minute. I think the only other surprises we can have right here, right now, is to bring back Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae. Now, Candice, I feel like that's going to be way further down the line. Because obviously she just had a kid. And who knows when she could be back. It took... Becky Lynch, several months to get back into the ring. Ronda Rousey, same kind of thing. And I think Candace wants to take the time to enjoy being a mom. And she has every right to do that. Johnny Gargano coming back would be huge for Monday Night Raw. And hell, it'd be fun to see how Champa and Gargano work now versus maybe what they did in DIY and their feud they had in 2018, which led to some absolute classic matches and the subsequent reunion the two had in 2019 that ended after Champa injured his neck. And that was one of those disappointing things I'd seen in that year. Because again, I've been a huge Johnny Gargano fan back in his evolved days, back when hell, even Dragon Gate USA type stuff. This cat was absolutely on another level back then. I'd love to see him return. Likelihood of that, I don't think it's going to happen until, I'd say, late 2022. Like, 
I'd say once you get into rumble season, that's when the conversation thing is going to shift. And again, I could be completely wrong and I'll hold myself to that because that's just how I am. I know more often than not, I'm going to be dead wrong on a lot of stuff because I'm not there. I'm not behind the scenes. I'm not a guy that's on that's has a Patreon where I'm going to give away scoop for $5. I'm just going to go off my personal opinion. If he shows up tomorrow or tonight, because again, we're taping this on a Sunday, I'd be happy. I'd be over the moon. But I just don't think it's going to happen yet. Why not save it for a Rumble return? But I wouldn't be surprised if Triple H pulls the trigger very, very soon because there's that thing where I'm noticing it's staggering. We're not just going to go ahead and throw in every single week a new debut or multiple debuts. We're going to stagger it over the course of Raw and SmackDown. Maybe even NXT could get some surprise returns. That'd be fun too. Maybe make me want to watch NXT 2.0. And hell, they're actually doing a really good job with NXT establishing a really solid two-hour show. Now, how many people are going to tune into that is a different conversation because it still feels like it is the minor leagues compared to what we get on the main roster. But that's not all the returns we've got over the last couple weeks. Adam Cole returned last week on Dynamite. I somehow wasn't a part of the trio's tag team titles tournament, but again, they did kind of write that off saying that he wasn't medically cleared and he was absolutely being true about that. So obviously Undisputed Elite won't be a part of it, but I'm sure they'll be part of the finish of the finals in one way or another. But what I'm intrigued about is the way they have kind of painted themselves in a corner, if you will. Because you've got the Trios Tag title tournament going to be starting next week. And it's going to be leading up to the all-out show. And you've got the elite Young Bucks are going to be in the Trios Tag Team tournament. And they proposed Hangman being part of the group. Which was turned down by Hangman because he's more focused on supporting his real friends, the Dark Order. Because they had his back from day one. And also the fact that they were there for him to celebrate him winning the title at full gear, which was a great callback, which I think that's what AEW does extremely well. They reference back to past feuds and past storylines, even in other companies. Case in point, what we saw in the dumpster match last week. This was a great moment, but it also kind of made you wonder, how does Kenny Omega play into this? Could we see Kenny return for the first time in almost a year? The last time he was on AEW television was full gear when he lost. And then how does he play into the entire overarching story of the Young Bucks, the Elite, taking on the Undisputed Elite? Or whatever they're going to call themselves, the Paragon, or, or however they're going to put themselves. Over. Because does Kenny just tagged with them for a while, then we get to the finals, and then we get to see the big charade that was going to pay off with Kenny turning heel again and joining Adam Golden Crew, which honestly I'd hate. I'd much rather see these three go at it against the Undisputed Elite, and then maybe down the road, Hangman Page gets into it because he wants to support his oldest friends. But it'd be really cool to see you know, Kenny do indeed turn heel, and then we get to see this thing pay off. 
when it comes to how, how they build up the main event of maybe even full gear. I think they could do something like that. They could stretch this out over several months. But then we get another return. That one was official, actually, on the very end of Dynamite. And I was legit shook by it. And that was the fact that you have CM Punk returning and the final moments of Dynamite to save John Moxley from getting his ass completely handed to him after what was, by the way, a banger of a match and has been getting a lot of heat from certain people for one spot in particular, which we'll talk about in a moment. But CM Punk comes out and he absolutely cleans house. He glommed one to 2.0 crossbody by Sammy, I believe. And then he got thrown right into the damn steps like a jabron. Absolutely loved that. Then he starts whipping up on Chris Jericho, who can barely get over the top rope. But again, we'll get to him in a minute. But that was a great moment. Then he kind of squares off with John Moxley, teasing the match and all out, which I honestly didn't think would happen. And they're kind of speed running this storyline. But at the same time, it was already kind of set up over three months ago. So give me that at the end of the day. I cannot wait to see how that goes. Now, let's get to the match itself. Chris Jericho versus John Moxley, which in my mind is one of the best AW Dynamite matches of the year. I think the only other one that truly beats it right now would have to be the Brian Danielson Hangman Page from the beginning of the year. That was a banger and a half. Now, I think Danielson Garcia could be one of those that winds up hitting that five-link boot-in range. And people were complaining a good bit about the picture-in-picture commercial break with Chris Jericho locking in the walls of Jericho. Not the lion tamer, but the walls of Jericho on Moxley. They go to commercial break, and he still holds it for about two minutes. People are saying how it it denigrates the move. And honestly, I disagree. I disagree wholeheartedly with the take that they had. Because this was a really cool moment. Because sometimes you just see these matches, these picture-in-pictures, and it's just move, 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 move. And not much really happens. There's nothing really that sways the momentum. But we've seen one time and one time only with Matt Hardy getting pinned by, I believe it was Orange Cassidy. I could be completely wrong on that. But Matt Hardy loses a match during picture-in-picture. It's the one time they've ever done it. But tell me you weren't kind of glued wanting to see can Jericho lock in the submission and get the win? Does John tap out? And you waited two minutes. Now, yes, it makes the move diminish a little bit. But at the same time, this isn't Le Champion Chris Jericho. This is the Lionheart Chris Jericho. He was focused on locking in that Lion Tamer. And when I tell you, he put that Lion Tamer in, I popped. I mean, hell, I said it on Twitter the other day. Chris Jericho says single-handedly turned back the clock and then some. And I gotta give that dude his flowers. He put together a really great match and he has looked fantastic. Going back to Revolution with Eddie Kingston. That match he had was great, but he looked even better. He looked like he was in the best shape of his damn life. Yes, let's be honest. For a while, he was looking like 
the guys he parodied about 20 years ago with the band Fozzie. These washed up 80s hair metal band guys trying to go on one more tour, just can't do it like he used to. Now he's playing the hits and he's playing them extremely well. So I can't hate Chris Jericho, John Moxley, those two put on a banger of a main event. And that show was, as always, it's been bookended by great matches. You had Darby Allen versus Brody King in a coffin match. That was so much fun. And I'm not going to lie. I popped at half the spots that happened in this match. Sting coming out of the coffin was great. Then you had the finish. And the fact that Brody landed the way he did, I popped like hell for it. Basically, you had Darby choke him out with his with Brody's own chain. And when Brody basically goes limp, he falls, bounces, and lands right inside the coffin. And the coffin closes immediately. I sat there I'm like, that was a perfect ending to a match that was built up like this. It was so cool. And the fact that you had Brody bleeding, I'm talking gushing right out the gate. This was a incredibly fun opener. And they didn't stop there. They had a really good tornado tag team match. That was really fun. Overall, AW's done a really good job with their A show. Their B show needs some work though. AEW Rampage was a hot mess. I think it's also the fact that you had literally one of the weirdest show-closing segments I've seen in a long time, and that is Sonny Kiss joining the Truthbuster stable. Ugh. I mean, why do we need another jobber stable? We've got the Nightmare family already. But enough about AEW. I want to get to WWE again because they are doing something that I love. And in a world where you only have one champion and they're not necessarily there every single show, and Drew McIntyre is even acknowledging this, pun intended, on programming, which is a little bit of a different departure than I thought we would see. But what they're doing with their secondary titles, it is tremendous. And it's something they should have done a long time ago. Now, how long this thing gets sustained is anybody's guess, but they are taking the right steps towards reestablishing the prestige of the Intercontinental and U.S. titles. What do I mean by that? Well, go look at the last two weeks of Monday Night Raw and tell me that the U.S. title doesn't look like a big goddamn deal. Tell me that. You have a great video package that highlights who's won the title, the legacy it gives. You bring up the Harley races, the Stone Cold Steve Austin's back in WCW, Scott Stein, Goldberg, the list goes on and on and on. Eddie Guerrero, name redacted. John Cena, Big Show, all these guys. It's been established as a really good secondary title, but it's fallen off the wayside over the last five years. I'd say since Cena's Open Challenge, that title has meant less and less. And it's just more of how WWE loves to put this ish together. So we get to that. Champa wins it. He was trained by Harley Race, the late great Harley Race. And they have it built up and they establish who Champa is. They establish his background and they establish how much he wants to win this title for Handsome Harley. He comes down in the ring with his damn robe. Great moment and a phenomenal match in the middle of Raw. 
this was another great moment to keep people hooked. And I think that's what WWE is doing to improve those three-hour shows. Is by saying, screw it. We're going to go ahead and give you more wrestling. We're going to give you these long-form matches that can go two, three breaks. But it's not like, oh, hey, we're going to have two, three minutes of match. Take a break. Come back. Five minutes of match. Go to break. You're seeing more long-form stories being told, and then you take a break. Then you come back. The match is still going on, and they're going for another seven, eight minutes. Then you can take another commercial break, and it feels like it's a longer match. It feels like a more entertaining one rather than sometimes with WWE, especially during the pandemic, where you'd see them just kind of standing up, not doing a damn thing, and then it's like, oh, wait, we need to hurry up and get back on the air. Let's go ahead and just slap on a rest hold. They feel like they're putting on really good matches. And they're liking that. And they're I'm loving the fact that they're reestablishing what the U.S. and Intercontinental titles mean. They did more of the same on SmackDown Friday. And they only have two hours of real estate to work with because they're mainly dealing with the Fox setup. But I absolutely adored the way they worked everything together. It wasn't like they're just sitting on their ass waiting to see what's going to happen. No. They did the video package establishing how the IC title has been considered for a long time the Workhorse Championship, which is what it should have been all along. This thing should have been established already as being that guy that's the next up. Because I was watching someone on TikTok the other day because I like watching it, and they have some really cool content creators. This one is wrestling Colin. I believe it's wrestling underscore Colin. Go check him out on TikTok If you love new Japan stuff, or maybe you're just trying to get into new Japan, he'll give you a crash course on all the guys, but he talked about how each title to a certain extent means something that you are, for instance, back when you had the pre, you know, the new world championship, you had the IWGP heavyweight championship. That was considered the championship of the top guy, the top draw, the mega star. When you had the Intercontinental title, that was meant to be the guy that could put on the match in the night, the guy that could put on nothing but bangers. Highly entertaining cat. Again, the worker's belt. He mentioned the Never Overweight Championship has always been the match for the guy that is that badass that's going to absolutely... Bring the wood every single match. The bull of the woods basically is what I consider the Never Way Championship. If you have that belt, you do not want to be messed with at all. And that's what they establish. The U.S. title and the Intercontinental title need to establish what they are to make people give a damn. Because we all know the heavyweight title is the title everybody's gunning for. It's been established. It's been ingrained in every fan's mind for the better part of 20, 30 years. That if you're in any promotion, the heavyweight title is the title that is the only title that really matters. Now, obviously, once you add more and more titles, it gets a little bit diluted. Case in point, go look at WWE back in the 90s when you had the Intercontinental title, the European title, the tag titles, the hardcore title, the light heavyweight title. It all kind of blends together and becomes a little bit blasé. It's a case of too many championships. AEW's 
starting to run into that issue, but at least they have a reason behind some of it. You've got these relationships. You've got a lot of trios, so it makes sense to have the trio titles. But hopefully that's the last title they add for a good while. Because the eight, the All-Atlantic Championship, it just doesn't do anything for me yet. Because we haven't even seen it on AEW television straight. We've just seen basically what I like to call file footage, B-roll, of matches over in the Indies across the pond. Which is fine and dandy, but at the same time, it just doesn't do anything for the title. Because not everybody's watching every single minute of AEW programming. I mean, I'm not watching... AW Dark Elevation or AEW Dark to go watch that. I I'll, I'll probably wind up just fast forwarding and get me to the point of that and then I'll move on. But what they're doing with the IC title because they did the same thing, the video package establishing how it's the workhorse title. Then you get to the Intercontinental Champion Gunther interviewing about it. Shinsuke Nakamura establishes why he wants to win that title. You give people a reason to be invested in your title. And what they did on SmackDown was a great main event. And if Roman's going to be gone for a while, being more of a part-timer, and the championships doesn't show up nearly as much on television, that's going to piss off a lot of network execs because they expect to see the champion fight. But guess what? If you establish the IC and the US titles as being on the same level, if not a little bit below... On, I'd say, um, basically what I'm going to say is if the titles are almost on par with the world title, then the execs could really give a shit less. You've got to establish that. Because if Roman's going to be gone for a long time, a lot of the execs aren't going to be happy because they want to have the world champion. There's even reports coming out that USA wants the title split up again. And according to rumors, they're going as far as to say, Karen Cross is going to be an element as to how they're going to do that because you're going to have Roman defend one title and then later the night defend the other one against Drew McIntyre. That's just one of the ideas because I don't think you can do what they did back in the... I'm trying to remember what this was. Could be completely off base here. This may have been either WrestleMania 2000 or No Way Out 2000. It was a triple threat Basically, two pinfall match for the Eurocontinental title that Kurt Angle had. I'd have to go... Now I'm wanting to look this up. This is what happens when you don't do show prep. When you think about ideas, you kind of just go through this lackadaisical. I'm going to go ahead and pull this up here. Okay, it wasn't that. Okay, that's good. Might have been a Royal Rumble, maybe? Like, it's it's so weird. I don't. I haven't thought about that match in a while. Turns out, no, it wasn't there either. Let's go ahead and kind of just do a little more research into this because it was whenever Kurt Angle had both titles. And I think it probably was WrestleMania 2000 going through Royal Rumble, No Way Out. It, it was WrestleMania 2000. I was right. So, yeah, it was a triple threat match between Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit, Kurt Angle for the Intercontinental and European Championships. It was a two-fall match, which honestly was a pretty kick-ass idea, but I just don't think you can do that convincingly, with especially with Karen Cross. I think I'd much rather see those two be in a 1v1 because then if Roman hypothetically doesn't lose the title to Karen Cross, it's going to pretty much set up Drew McIntyre to win one of them and not the other. 
But also, if Roman pins him, then I think you wind up saying, hey, you know, Karen Cross, this was his first match back after being released last year. Of course, he was going to lose this match. So it doesn't necessarily hurt him nearly as much as it could any other guy. But still, I'm interested to see how it all goes down in the WWE and how things are kind of crafted over the next several weeks and months as we gear up for what looks to be really interesting road to clash at the castle. And that weekend is going to be interesting as hell because you have that on Saturday. Then Sunday, you've got the big show of All Out, which, by the way, I'll go ahead and say this right now. We're going to tape that podcast probably Monday morning. And again, it is Labor Day, so I'm not going to be at the office. So we'll probably drop that Monday night right before Raw gets underway. But speaking of future episodes, I've been wanting to do this. And since we're at episode 99, I have to say, I'm excited about episode 100. Because I'm finally going to do it. I've talked about it for a while, but I'm going to go back into the archives of Peacock and WWE. And we're going to dig for old WCW. And what WCW am I pulling out? Well, I'm going to take out WCW Thunder. And we're reviewing it next week. Hell, we might make it a two-parter. We're not going to get into much modern wrestling. But we're going to do what I, I think, honestly, I'm just looking forward to this. Is July 1st, 1999, the first ever wrestling show I went to as a 10-year-old kid. Again, this is 1999, WCW. WCW Thunder at the Cajun Dome. And I really want to do a watch-along style, but I might just do it more retro-review style like we've done some in the past. But until next time, appreciate you listening in to the podcast. And hey, want to go ahead and leave us a five-star review. If you're in the Tokyo Dome, obviously you can leave us a six-star review. I think there's a feature where you can maybe even geolocate yourself or use your VPN provider to let them know you're listening in over in Tokyo, Japan. And maybe Uncle Dave can bless you with a little six-star review function on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and write a review while you're at it. That way, we can shot yacht on this show. Until next time, enjoy the wrestling. We'll be back talking more about that. Cannot wait for episode 100 dropping next week. <laughs>